finishing our series called The God I Never Knew. We have spent the last seven weeks, today is week eight, talking about the Holy Spirit. Uh, I know many of you have learned, many of you have taken steps forward in your walk with God. I know for some, this is a series you're never going to forget what God did in your life over the last eight weeks. I'm very, very grateful that God has been faithful and he has shown up. And so one thing that has happened over the course of the past few weeks is people have gotten questions. Man, uh, here's something that we haven't talked about, or here's something that maybe wasn't made clear, or here's something I'm not sure about. So today, we are doing some question and answer regarding the Holy Spirit. Um, I'm going to give you a, a number of questions. We're going to try to move through them fairly quickly, uh, but we'll do some Q&A today. That have, these are questions that have been submitted from our people. Uh, I want to preface with this, as I try to always do when we have a, a series like this. Anytime we have a question, anytime we're, we're digging into, hey, what does the Bible say about this? There, there's three lenses that I believe we should bring to it. The first one is this, is that when the Bible speaks clearly, we're going to speak clearly. So in other words, there are some things the Bible explicitly answers, and when the Bible answers it explicitly, man, we're not going to apologize for it. We're going to stand boldly on this is what the Word of God has to say. Uh, sometimes the Bible doesn't give us a direct answer, uh, but it'll give us what we would call a biblical principle. In fact, uh, once or twice today, we'll appeal to biblical principle, and I'll try to make sure I explain that as we do it. But in other words, it, it may not directly apply to the situation, but we can see here's how God moves in the lives of his people. Here's how God has responded in other situations, and we believe he'll do the same in this. And so we'll apply biblical principle. And then thirdly, sometimes the Bible is silent. The Bible doesn't talk about everything, right? The Bible tells us everything we need to know, but it doesn't tell us everything. And that's why we have the Holy Spirit. Uh, so when the Bible does not speak clearly, um, I will do my best to give you my opinion. And I hope that that opinion is informed by the Holy Spirit. I hope that that opinion is, is led by the Holy Spirit. I hope that it is uh, from God, I will do my best for that to be the case, to pray these things through and, and research them. Uh, and so I will give you my opinion when that's all that you can have, when you got to settle for that. So with all that being said, uh, let's do some Q&A. The first question we'll get to, in fact, I believe this was actually the first question that was submitted, uh, is do you have to speak in tongues to have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. So we, we talked a couple weeks ago about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It happens on Acts 2.8, the day of Pentecost. We see other examples in Scripture. Um, is speaking in tongues a requirement for the baptism in the Holy Spirit? Uh, my answer to that would be yes and no. Uh, so let me unpack that for you a little bit. The churches that I grew up in, we, we had this statement in the Assemblies of God churches um, that the, speaking in tongues is the initial evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So the first sign that you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues. And I do think that that is true biblically. I think that is true in the vast majority of cases of people who get baptized in the Holy Spirit, that you receive a prayer language and you begin to speak in tongues. What I would say no to it is, I don't necessarily believe it's exclusive, um, that you will 
automatically start speaking in tongues. In other words, I've known people who pursued the baptism of the Holy Spirit, had an experience with God, um, and yet didn't start speaking out right away. Uh, and I think there can be a number of reasons of that. There, there can be hang-ups because of what we've been taught or what we've seen abused, uh, or it just feels weird or it feels different, and we don't know how to walk in that. And so you may not immediately start speaking that out, uh, but if you've truly been baptized in the Holy Spirit, I believe you have the ability to speak in tongues, even if you haven't yet tapped into that ability. Hopefully that makes sense. Uh, and so I do believe that tongues comes with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, you have the ability to speak in a tongue, uh, but you may or may not exercise that ability. I think that's the best way that I can articulate that. When Scripture, uh, we'll go to a few examples where this was immediately followed. We first have Acts chapter 2. We saw this earlier in the series, but just as a way of review. Uh, Verse 1 says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. That's the 120 followers of Jesus, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So 120 people, men, women, young, old, right? All of them who received the baptism of the Holy Spirit began to speak in tongues. So we see that each of them were given a tongue. It wasn't some of them got a tongue and some of them got other gifts. All of them were given a language. Uh, Again, in Acts chapter 10, Peter uh, has been sent by God. He's had this vision from God of uh, this sheet that comes down with all these animals on it, and they're some unclean animals. And God says, take and eat. And Peter's like, I'm not going to eat that what's unclean. And God says, don't you dare call something unclean that I'm calling clean. And then God sends him to a man named Cornelius, a Roman, a Greek, a, a, a Gentile, somebody who wasn't a Jew. And at this point in time, they still thought that God was just for the Jews. So he sends him to this centurion's house. Uh, and the centurion says, hey, I've been praying. Uh, I, I want to know about Jesus. So Peter begins to tell him about Jesus. And as Peter is teaching the centurion and those, the others around, his family, his servants, it says this, verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. So they were God-fearing people. They loved God before this. They hear about Jesus. As they hear the message, the Holy Spirit descends on them. It says, the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Verse 47, then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of them being baptized with water. They received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. So, So these people... I mean, they believe, they get baptized in the Holy Spirit, they actually do that before they get baptized in water. So we talked about this before, that there's three baptisms, right? We're first baptized into Christ by the Holy Spirit. That's salvation. That's the prereq for any of them. Most of the time in Scripture, we see people get baptized in water, then baptized in the Holy Spirit. But here we see them baptized in the Holy Spirit and then baptized in water. So there's not a defined order between two and three. You can do those in either order. Um, Acts 19 says, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior. He arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? 
They answered, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. We saw another place like this uh, in Scripture, I believe in Acts 16. So Paul asked, verse 3, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 of them in all. So, so we see all these examples in Scripture. When they're baptized in the Holy Spirit, they receive the Holy Spirit, they begin to speak in tongues. So the normative scriptural illustration is, yes, you receive a tongue when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So here's my answer if you want to write it down. Uh, we'll, we'll spell it out on one slide for you. Tongues are available to everyone who has been baptized in the Holy Spirit. It may be possible to have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and not yet speak in tongues. However, I believe that that is the case. I've seen people that I believe that that was what happened in their situation. So if that's you, you've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you've had man, an experience with God, but you haven't yet spoken out in a tongue, I would tell you, ask, seek, knock. Man, keep believing God that that, that tongue is there, that that prayer language is there. Again, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not specifically about a tongue. That's secondary. The most important thing about the baptism of the Holy Spirit is power to witness, right? But that prayer language is a great tool, is a great thing to have uh, available to you. So I would continue to ask, seek, and knock if you have not yet walked in that. Uh, next question. Do you need to be in a certain environment to receive the Holy Spirit? Is there a, a certain setup that need, there needs to happen in order for the baptism of the Holy Spirit to occur? The answer to this one is very easy. It is no. No, you do not. Uh, you, we see in Scripture where, where people are in various environments, and once they're in the upper room, then they're out walking around, and they're in the, the living room at Cornelius' house. We see the baptism of the Holy Spirit come on people in a lot of different ways from personal experience Excuse me. Seen this happen a lot of different ways as well. I know people who got baptized in the Holy Spirit in their car. I know people who got baptized in the Holy Spirit in their bedroom. I know people who got baptized in the Holy Spirit outside in a, in a field. Uh, I know people who got baptized in the Holy Spirit in various church environments. Um, so there is not a specific environment that, hey, you got to do this at church. You got to do this with a pastor. You don't even have to do this by having hands laid on you. We see in Scripture multiple times where there were hands laid on. When Peter was talking to the people in Cornelius' living room, they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Nobody touched them, right? So, so there's not requirements for this. There are certain things that are conducive. And I'd say it's the same as salvation, right? Do you have to be in a certain environment to get saved? Absolutely not, right? You know people who have gotten saved in all kinds of situations, in their cars, in their living room, in churches, um, and in all sorts of places. I think any encounter with God can happen anywhere, right? Because we serve a God who is omnipresent. He's everywhere. He doesn't live here. That's why I, I, I know sometimes I might make too big of a deal of this, but so I, we don't call this room our sanctuary. Now, if you call it the sanctuary, it's not like you're a failure as a city church person. Like, it doesn't matter. Uh, but we call it the auditorium because sanctuary implies the place where God lives. And God doesn't live here. God lives here, Right? Uh, and so you can receive Jesus anywhere. You can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit anywhere. He's not contained in a building. He's not limited by a place. He's not reserved to a certain situation, man. He will move in your life whatever place you are willing to let him move in your life. 
So no, you do not have to be in a certain environment to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. doesn't mean there aren't environments that, that can help set the mood, right? Like that's why we did worship for our worship night. That, that's why we had a prayer team who was there to help people and walk through this with people because we think that those things are, are beneficial. They're not necessary, if that makes sense. So when we finish this series, the good news is that doesn't mean the door is closed. If you haven't taken the step to ask God for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's not like, well, we got to wait till the next series comes along, next time we do this at church. If you want this, God wants it for you, you can just start asking him. You don't need us to walk you through this. God is the one who does this, not the church. So you don't need a certain environment. Next question. Can you gradually receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, or is this always an immediate thing. So, so can I gradually receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Is there a process here, or does this always happen instantaneously? Uh, this one, I don't have a great biblical answer for you. The Bible doesn't speak to this. So I'm just going to share my opinion. Uh, I believe that when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, God moves on you, and that is an instantaneous thing. Uh, but accessing everything that God did in that instantaneous thing may take a lifetime, right? That, that God puts something in you, God deposits something in you when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and that's instant, but man, understanding everything that comes with it and walking in everything that comes with it isn't something that happens instantaneously. And I would again compare it to salvation, right? When you got saved, did you understand everything there was to understand about salvation? Do you today understand everything there is to know about salvation? Right, there's so much that comes with salvation. There's such a great package. There's so much to, to learn. And so you don't have to understand all of it in order to receive Jesus, thank God, or none of us would ever receive Jesus, right? You don't have to, to understand everything that God is doing in you and everything that God is giving to you to receive salvation. It's an instantaneous thing, right? Salvation is already, but it's also referred to in Scripture as a process that we are being saved. It's also referred to in Scripture that we will be saved. So Scripture has happened, is happening, and will happen in our lives. That's what salvation is. I think we can point to that biblical principle and say the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the same way, right? That, that he immediately does something in you when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it's a continual process that's playing out. And there's more that's going to come. So the Bible talks that God wants to move us from glory to glory. God wants to take you to the next level, right? And I think in whatever you've experienced with God, he's got more levels for you. There's more levels for us to understand and gaze on in, in awe when it comes to salvation, there's more levels for us to gaze on when it comes to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so, yes, it's a gradual process of continuing to unpack what God has already given to us. So I guess we could put it this way. It's a gift that keeps on giving, right? To put it in, in the theme of the season. Uh, last question today. Does the Spirit bring new revelation or just new insight into established revelation. So we had a, a number of questions about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now we're going to shift gears and talk about some of the other stuff the Holy Spirit does. Which, by the way, there's a lot of other stuff the Holy Spirit does that we didn't get into in this series. Right? The, the Holy Spirit is so vital and so instrumental in our lives. And so we didn't unpack everything that he's involved in by, by any means. We just really scratched the surface of what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. 
I told you this was the last question. I actually have one more, sorry. Um, but second to last question. Uh, so here's what I would say to this question is, does the Holy Spirit bring new revelation or does he just bring new insight into what has already been revealed by God? Uh, we believe here at City Church in what we would call the closed canon of Scripture, and we're going to unpack each of these statements. In other words, nothing, can ri- nothing that God says today is going to rise to the level of Scripture, and we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, all prophecy must be judged against the word. No prophecy is equal to the word. So let's dig through this a little bit. Closed canon of Scripture. How many of you guys have ever heard that phrase? Like three of you. All right, so we're going to do some teaching today, right? We, the closed canon of Scripture. In other words, if, if Billy Graham, amazing man of God, wrote a book, he wrote many books, right? We don't add those books of Billy Graham to the Bible, right? We don't have the book of Billy. Uh, it's not the gospel of Graham, right? Like we love Billy Graham. We respect Billy Graham. We are grateful for the gift that God gave of Billy Graham, but we don't believe Billy Graham wrote anything that rises to the level of scripture because we believe the canon, which is the books that have been recognized as, as of God, that that has been closed. So, so pick your favorite preacher, your favorite man of God down through the last 2,000 years in church history or alive today or woman of God, right? Like we don't believe that they're writing anything that rises to the level of scripture. And Revelation closes the last chapter of the Bible, says this, John specifically writing about the book of Revelation, but we believe that it applies to all of scripture. He says, I warn everyone who hears the words of this prophecy, of this scroll, If anyone adds to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in this scroll. Nobody's going to add to the book of Revelation, and we believe that extends to the entirety of Scripture because Revelation is not only the last book at the end of your Bible, it's actually the last book that was written. It's actually written about 30 years after any other book in the Bible. It's by far the last book that was written. Uh, And so we believe that the revelation was the period on the end of the word of God. Uh, The next verse says, if anyone takes away from this scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this scroll. In other words, we believe the canon is closed. We're not adding more stuff to the Bible. We're not taking stuff away from the Bible. God has given us his revelation, and that's all that he's chosen to give us as far as the word of God is concerned. So these are the things that that we understand the Bible is closed. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 uh, 19 through 21, Paul says this. He says, do not quench the spirit, do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all, hold on to what is good, reject every kind of evil. So, so Paul is saying that, man, when you receive a prophecy, when God speaks through somebody, he says, don't just immediately receive that. Hey, this is from God because they said it's from God. He says, test them. Test the prophets. We talked last week when we were talking about spiritual gifts, talked about some, some prophecies that have been put out there that didn't happen, right? Uh, the reality is just because somebody says, thus saith the Lord, doesn't necessarily mean thus said the Lord, Right? Uh, And it doesn't always mean that that person is nefarious or evil or demonic. It might just mean they missed God, right? All of us in this room have probably thought God was leading us into something, and we got into it and realized, whoop, 
<laughs> that wasn't God, right? That was the flesh. That was the enemy. That was my own desires, whatever. And so it doesn't mean that we, that we stone people because they were wrong. It does mean they need to humble themselves and say, man, I missed it on that. Uh, and so Paul says, test the prophets. Well, what do we test them against? Well, I think we test them against two things. We test them against the word of God. So if a prophet says something that's contrary to the word, which, by the way, anytime somebody says they know when Jesus is coming back, they're automatically going against the word of God, right? We know that because the Bible says nobody knows the hour, nobody knows the day. Jesus doesn't even know when Jesus is coming back. If Jesus don't know, he ain't telling you, right? Uh, so that's a, a very easy, direct example, man. Every once in a while, somebody will step out. There was Harold Camping a few years ago, and there have been a, a number of others who, man, Jesus is coming back on this day, at this time, and this is going to happen, and every time, they're wrong. And what happens every time that happens, if somebody says that, the church takes another black eye, right? Because we look like another bunch of idiots who believe anything that anybody says. We're not called to just believe anything anybody says. We're called to test the prophets against the word of God, uh, and then ultimately to test them against, what did they say? Did it come to pass? Was this accurate? Did this truly happen? And we see the fruit of that gift. So anytime somebody says something from God, Number one, it doesn't rise to the level of Scripture. We test it against Scripture. Somebody says something that's contrary to Scripture, we know that that is not accurate. So let's go back to our original question here. Uh, does the Spirit bring new revelation or just new insight into established revelation? So this is a little bit of a semantics question, uh, but I would say this. I would say the Holy Spirit does bring new revelation, but the new revelation of the Holy Spirit is never going to contradict the old revelation of the Holy Spirit, right? So, so he's going to give us revelation in our lives about things going on in our day and age. We gave the example last week, right, of this man, this grandfather who had a dream. His granddaughter was going to be cursed by a witch, and, and he relayed this to the dad, and sure enough, this all went down, and because of it, they were able to take authority over it and bind it and cast it out, and, and none of this harm came upon the granddaughter because God revealed that to grandpa in a dream, right? That God gives new revelation. I'm grateful that God gives new revelation, but that new revelation doesn't cancel out or supersede the old revelation, right? It, it has to match up with what God has spoken before. There are some who think God doesn't speak to people today, uh, that, that, man, God spoke in the past, and all we need is the word of God, and those are, are extreme cessationists, uh, and, and I think it's really hard to read the Bible and believe any of that, because uh, the Bible tells us, man, the Holy Spirit's talking. The Holy Spirit's leading us. The Holy Spirit's guiding us. You are led by the Spirit of God. In fact, Paul says this. He says, those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, are children of God. So if you are a child of God, the promise of Scripture is you are going to be led by God. He's going to speak to you. He's going to talk to you. In fact, it's a quiet morning at City Church today, so let's, let's spice it up a little bit. Look at somebody and say, he talks to you. Look, look at your second choice and say, he even talks to me, right? He speaks. He's going to speak. He's going to continue to speak. All right. So we believe in the closed canon of Scripture. No revelation matches up to the level of Scripture. In fact, I, I've heard people say this before. We, we talk about the Word of God is inspired by the Holy Spirit. 
And I've heard people use that phrase, these other things were inspired by the Holy Spirit. I've heard people say the United States Constitution is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Uh, and I think it's a really dangerous phrase to put on any other document. To say that it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. Inspired by God means, man, that that thing is God-breathed. Um, I'm grateful for the U.S. Constitution. I think it's the best form of government people have, have ever crafted or created. It is highly flawed and imperfect. Uh, and so we, God is not flawed and imperfect. God's word is perfect. And so when he inspires something, it doesn't need to be amended. You don't need amendments to the word of God. In fact, you can't have amendments to the word of God, right? Um, there's amendments to the Constitution. I'm grateful that the Constitution has that ability to be amended. So nothing rises to the level of Scripture. Last question today. Can you lose the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Can you lose it? If you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, is this something you can lose? And so, again, the Bible does not explicitly say, uh, and we can get into, you know, I keep comparing baptism of the Holy Spirit back to salvation. One of the great debates of the church is, can you lose your salvation, right? So we won't get into that debate today. Uh, can you lose the baptism of the Holy Spirit? This, again, may be semantic. It may be a little bit of a yes and no answer. Um, I would say this. You can lose the benefits of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You can lose access to the things that God has done. In fact, a couple of you through this series are like, hey, I got baptized in the Holy Spirit 20 years ago, and I haven't been using it. I haven't been walking in it. I've neglected my prayer language, and I can't use it anymore. And through this series, God reawakened those things. Um, so does that mean that they lost it, or does that just mean that they lost the key to it? I don't know. Like, we can argue about that all day long. Um, I do believe you can neglect something and no longer be able to use it. Uh, in fact, the parable of the talents is a great example of this in Scripture. It's in Matthew 25. You're probably familiar. But in Matthew 25, there's this master, this very wealthy man who's got three employees. He calls his first employee to him, and he gives him five talents, which is a, a ton of money, if you're not familiar. Uh, and he says, hey, I want you to take care of this while I'm gone. Uh, he calls the next person in, gives him two talents. Calls the last person in, gives him one talent. A talent's equal to like a, a year's wages. So we're, we're talking a, a lot of cash. Uh, so he goes away, and again, you probably know the story. He comes back. He calls his servants back in to give account. He says, hey, what did you do? Well, the first guy comes in. He's like, hey, I took the five talents that you gave me, and I invested it. I worked it, and I made five more, and now I've got ten talents. So the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. Second guy comes in, does the same thing. I got two talents, went out, and I worked it. I invested it. I doubled it. I got four. He says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Last guy comes in and says, hey, I know that you're harsh. I know that you're tough, so I buried my talent in the backyard to make sure that I didn't lose it. Uh, and here it is, sir. I kept good care of it. You've got your one talent. And what does he do? He takes the talent from the one who neglected it, and he gives it to somebody else. I do believe if we neglect the stuff that God has given us, if we neglect the revelation he's given us, if we neglect the gifts that he's given us, a point comes, and I don't know what that point is, where God may say, well, you know what? You're not responsible with this thing. I'm going to give it to somebody else. I know people who are like, man, I'm trying to position myself as the faithful servant. So when God's got to take a gift from somebody else, he can just give it to me. Now, I don't know if that's a real thing. I don't know if that's really happening out there or not. I think it's kind of an interesting concept. Um, what I would say is this. If God's given you something, and I'm not just talking a, a tongue, right? If God's given you an, an ability to sing, uh, if God's given you an ability to connect with people, God's given you the ability to, to love on kids, if God's given you a wife, 
a husband, a son, a daughter, and you neglect that thing, you might just lose that thing, right? We got to be real careful not to take for granted what God has given us. Because he says, look, here's one individual who had something that was given to him by the master who did absolutely nothing with it. And so I think a great application for us as we finish this series is why I picked for this question to be last. What has God given you? Has he given you the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Awesome. Use it. Has he given you spiritual gifts? You took a spiritual gifts test hopefully last week? Awesome. Use them. Has he given you a a platform to tell people about Jesus? Use it. Has he blessed you financially? Are you in a great situation financially? You better use that for God's glory. Right? Like whatever God's given you, don't neglect it. Don't take it for granted. Has he given you a family? Love them. Pour into them. Point them to Jesus. Whatever God's blessed you with, whatever God's given you, take advantage of it. Has he given you a church family? Take advantage of it. Has he given you a small group? Take advantage of it, right? Like we could apply this across a, a million different lenses, far beyond the baptism of the Holy Spirit, far beyond a prayer language or speaking in tongues. What's, what's God given you? What's he placed inside of you? Has he given you a passion for something? Has he given you a dream? Has he given you a calling? What has God given to you that he doesn't give to everybody? Don't neglect it. Use it. Activate it. Take advantage of it. Because sometimes when those things get neglected, we do lose them. This is why basically the biblical principle is don't be a procrastinator. Uh, And that's one that gets all over my toes, right? Because I am a great natural procrastinator. Oh. Man, if we neglect something, if we just keep putting it off and think, I'll get to that down the road, I'll take advantage of that one day, it may not be there when one day gets there. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to use your gift. Today is the day to make a difference. Today is the day to take advantage of the blessings that God's given you. We just spent, hopefully, Thursday reflecting somewhat on some gifts that God's blessed us with, right? Probably, if you didn't go around the table and ask, like, hey, what are you thankful for? Hopefully, you at least thought about it, or maybe you got on social media and saw somebody else say what they were grateful for. Hopefully, it crossed your mind somewhere. What am I grateful for? Whatever you're grateful for, pour into that thing. Take advantage of that thing. Keep using that thing, uh, because God has blessed us immensely. He blesses us with gifts. The Holy Spirit gives good gifts. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a good thing. Do I think you can use it? Do you can lose it? I don't know, but I wouldn't want to find out. Man, take advantage of it while you've got it. Keep using it. Amen?